Alrighty, hello again everyone and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 7th day of June 2023. Happy Wednesday to you halfway to the weekend. Glorious, glorious weekend. And the field is getting more and more crowdeder. And more and more crowdeder. And more and more crowdeder. Oh man, we've got a lot of ground to cover. I'm going to talk about a little bit about Chris Christie because I just don't think that, uh, I don't see the point. There's got to be, you have to sit there and go, oh, this is going to be why I get in. Running for president of the United States, even if you do sort of a half-assed job about it, it's still a pain in the ass. You still got to go traveling around, running around, kissing babies and kissing butts and all that stuff. And you just go, uh, uh, is it worth it? There has to be some sort of thing. You have to either really firmly believe that you have a chance to win, or at least you can start a conversation that otherwise wouldn't happen without you in the race, which, frankly, with Chris Christie isn't isn't really real. I, I don't know what he brings to the table. So I, I might get into that later. I, that's actually kind of all I really have to say about it until he uh, he does or says something aside from announcing he or filing the paperwork. He says he's going to be the attack dog against Donald Trump. It'll be interesting to see, and it'll be interesting to see how Trump responds. Chris Christie in 2016 was the debate coach for Donald Trump. So you never know what the hell's going to happen. They know each other very well. Could be buttons that Chris Christie could push that nobody else can push. Or it could be Chris Christie's just a stalking horse and pretends to be a candidate, pretends to be interested in winning, and I'll go after Trump, and then he spends all his time attacking Ron DeSantis like little Vivek Ramaswamy. So we shall see. Anyway... We've uh, got a lot to get into. I uh, First of all, I want to point out something again. My uh, third piece in The Hill is running today. And uh, this one is one, it's, it's about the presidential race. That's why I bring it up at the top. Because there are, uh, there's something I think most people involved in, Political journalism, political commentary, they either don't get it or they they get it and they don't care. They know the audience doesn't know or doesn't get it, and uh, that's it. Whatever the case is, I'm going to tell you the truth. You're going to hear a lot about Iowa. There's going to be lots of pilgrimages to Iowa. We've already seen really every announced candidate except for Chris Christie because he just announced go to Iowa so far, and even Mike Pence hasn't officially announced yet, but he's he's already made his little trek to Iowa. And if you are at all interested in becoming the Republican nominee, there's something you need to know. It's a dirty little secret in politics that puts a bit of a damper on some of the media coverage, some of the excitement, some of the hype surrounding the Iowa caucuses on both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats, that you need to know. Iowa is where candidates go to fail. Not because they didn't win Iowa, but because they tried to win Iowa, and sometimes because they won Iowa. Iowa is a a, a wasteland of Republican, particularly, hopefuls for the nomination of their party for president of the United States. You can go on and dig a little deeper into the data and find out that people are, uh, that it's a wasteland in total for people who want to be president of the United States, but that's that's for another time. 
<clears throat> I want to read a part of, and I don't do this often because I, I, I can't stand reading my <coughs> own writing out loud. Sorry, I'm still dealing with this throat thing. It's really annoying. But, um, yeah, mild temperature and sinus drainage. Mild leaning 99.5. I don't know what the hell. If it's an allergy or what. But we'll see. I feel fine. It's just this crappy throat thing. But I want to point out a couple things just so you can spare yourself the ridiculous, hyperbolic, overly excited, meaningless, ultimately, coverage of what goes on in Iowa. So for Republicans and Democrats, when it comes to winning the nomination, if you go back in the GOP field, if you go back to 1980, only two non-incumbent candidates won Iowa and went on to win the GOP nomination. Only two. Now that's, yeah, every four years, so there's not, you know, 50 different or 40 different uh, votes there, but there are 10 The people who went on to win the nomination, Bob Dole in 1996, he won Iowa, and George W. Bush in 2000, he won Iowa. Bush went on to win the presidency, Dole did not. Every other time, the Iowa winner has lost the nomination. They lost the nomination. They may well have gone on to win later on in other years, but we're talking about if you want to become the nominee this year, right? George H.W. Bush won in 1980. Obviously, Reagan went on to win the nomination and win the presidency. Bob Dole won in 1988 against George H.W. Bush. Remember that? He beat him. It's more of a protest vote. Bush went on to win the nomination and the presidency. Mike Huckabee won in 2008. And what happened to Mike Huckabee? Mike Huckabee went nowhere after that. Rick Santorum. Remember the Santorumentum in 2012? How did that work out again? Not at all. And 2016, Ted Cruz won in Iowa. For Democrats, it's it's slightly different. It seems. There are five times in that same period that the Iowa caucus winner went on to win the nomination. Mondale in 84, Gore in 2000, Kerry in 2004, Obama in 2008, and Hillary in 2016. So what should they do? You're sitting there, Derek, what are you telling them? They shouldn't run for president. They shouldn't. No. I think people who want to be taken seriously or have a shot at the Republican nomination need to do well. You need to show up in Iowa. You need a top five finish in Iowa, if provided there are you know, lots of candidates. If there's only four people and you finish in the top five, you got a problem. But you need to show up mostly because of the media attention Iowa gets. And you bask in that elsewhere and you spend your money more often, more frequently, probably three to one, I would say, in New Hampshire. While making a case for yourself in Iowa, you spend your money in New Hampshire. Why? Because New Hampshire has a very good track record of picking Republican nominees for president. As a matter of fact, we go back to 1980. The New Hampshire primary voters have successfully voted for the eventual Republican nominee five times, five times, compared to two, when there was no incumbent Republican president, obviously. And uh, the Granite State voters, they picked Reagan in 1980, George H.W. Bush in 1988, John McCain in 2008, Mitch Romney in 2012, and Donald Trump in 2016. Whatever you want to think about that, you've got Reagan, Bush, 
and Trump went on to win the presidency. McCain and Romney, meh, whatever. They were bad candidates, but they were also up against a buzzsaw in Barack Obama, and the media machine went absolutely into a frenzy with him. But it's interesting to point out because it matters. New Hampshire matters so much more than Iowa does for Democrats, for Republicans, or for Republicans. For Democrats, it's the opposite. But it matters so much more. And you're going to see a whole bunch of these candidates who are in the field now spend an awful lot of time in Iowa because I don't know why. Honestly, I don't know why. You're looking at a whole bunch of people. I assume it's political consultants. They say, Iowa, we get, we lead the, get out of the gate. Run. It's not about how you start. It's about how you finish in politics. And these people have got a whole bunch of suckers on the line. They've got a whole bunch of suckers on the line. So, so be it. I just wanted to point that out because it's wildly important. For Democrats, it's different. You go back to 1988 or 1980. Obviously, Jimmy Carter was an incumbent. That doesn't count. Um, Michael Dukakis won in 1988. Bill Clinton didn't even. You know what? Bill Clinton was the comeback kid in 1992. Remember that? He lost in Iowa, and then New Hampshire made him the comeback. I'm the comeback kid. He wasn't the comeback kid. He came in second place. He came in a distant second. Paul Songus got 33% of the vote. Bill Clinton only got 25% of the vote. But it was better than he was expected. That was after Jennifer Flowers' affair came out and they lied to everybody in the country. So, oh, I'm the comeback kid. But he didn't win it. He won it in 96 when nobody else was running. Uh, Al Gore won it in 2000. John Kerry won it in 2004. Hillary Clinton won New Hampshire for Democrats in 2008. Obviously, that didn't work out well for her. And Bernie Sanders won it in 2016 for Democrats. That didn't work out well for him. He actually won it again in 2020. And if you look at 2020, Joe Biden finished fifth. Fifth in Iowa. I cannot stress enough, Iowa does not matter. Now, who did Joe Biden lose to? The eventual nominee. He lost to Bernie Sanders, got 26% of the vote. Mayor Pete got 24% of the vote. Amy Klobuchar, who the hell votes for Amy Klobuchar? Amy Klobuchar got 20% of the vote. Elizabeth Warren got 9% of the vote. And then Joe Biden got 8% of the vote. That's it. Iowa is a waste of time for Republicans. New Hampshire is a waste of time for Democrats. It's just, look, it's data. I get it. There are a lot of politicians out there who make a fortune being the soothsayer, the political truth teller out there in Iowa and blah, 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 yakety schmackety. And there are a whole bunch of reporters crawling all over the diners of Iowa right now trying to get a sense of is it Trump versus uh, DeSantis or will somebody else? What do you think about this one, that one or the other one? It, it doesn't matter. It honest to God doesn't matter. And the sooner everybody recognizes this, the better off we'll all be. Iowa still wants to go first, fine. Iowa is not a finish line. You think of it as a launching pad, not a landing strip. There will be people who are eliminated after Iowa. Don't get me wrong. If you if you soil the sheets in Iowa and you get uh, 3% of the vote, you can be done after Iowa. No question about it. But you were never really in it to begin with, if that's the case. You will never or rarely 
be launched into, and if you look at the fields in the years that the Republicans who won Iowa won the nomination, they're pretty weak-ass fields, to be perfectly honest with you. So stay out of there. <coughs> Excuse me. And just don't care about that kind of stuff. All right. We've got to talk about a, a bunch of this immigration thing. It's, it's, it's so stupid. It's so damn stupid as to be hilarious. Florida, again, Ron DeSantis wins. He sends a bunch of, not a bunch, but a group of illegal aliens to Florida. I talked about this yesterday, I think it was, where Governor Gavin Hairdo Newsom out there in California is going, oh, this is an outrage. We're going to find out if these people were kidnapped and what's going on. Oh, it's horrible. It's horrible. People being shipped all over. They don't want illegal aliens in their state. They don't. They want to be a sanctuary state because they want a virtue signaling that goes along with it. But they don't want the responsibility. They recognize that it is an economic drag on their economy to have a whole bunch of illegal aliens in their state. So they want to get to the bottom of this. And they're talking about is there, was there, what do you call it? What did they say? It was kidnapping and human trafficking and blah, 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 blah. All about this crap related to these illegal aliens being flown on private jet out to California. And the New York Times is on the case. Their headline, it's, it's amazing what these people find time to report on at the expense of, say, people being on record, a credible FBI source being on record, saying unambiguously that Joe Biden took a $5 million bribe while vice president of the United States. That's not of interest to the New York Times. Not interested in that. But 12 illegal aliens show up on the streets of California, and I don't know how you can spot them compared to all the other illegal aliens out there in California. Then suddenly that's a stop the presses moment. The New York Times headline, DeSantis stays silent on whether Florida arranged migrant flights to California. The subheadline, the silence from Governor Ron DeSantis, a Republican running for president on such a high-profile incident, is unusual. Hey, how about you kiss my rear end? Is that unusual? Now, I love it. Arranged migrant fl- They're illegal aliens. This is one of the things that drives me nuts about Fox, is they're referred to constantly as migrants. Every once in a while, they get, oh, it, it, they're illegal migrants. Migrant is a very different word than alien or even immigrant. They have no, migrants flow with the work. There's, it's planting season. Okay, migrants come in to take the jobs to do the planting. And then they, planting season is over. They leave. Then it's harvesting season. Migrants come in, they migrate up to where the jobs are. They pick the crops, they harvest the crops, and then they leave. These people are illegal aliens. They have no intention whatsoever of ever leaving the United States again. They do not. They aren't going anywhere. They're probably humping like rabbits right now to try and get an anchor baby conceived and birthed in the United States as quickly as possible. Anyway, New York Times. In his first public appearance, since officials in California accused him of orchestrating recent charter flights that carried groups of migrants from Texas to Sacramento, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida did not address whether his state was responsible for the transports. Oh, no. You mean a Republican gave the left-wing media the double-digit middle fingers, the, the two fur fingers? 
because he didn't address an issue that he they wanted him to talk about. He decided to talk about what he wanted to talk about. Instead, at what his office has billed as a news conference in Wildwood, Florida, Mr. DeSantis signed a bill on Tuesday morning that he said would give custom, consumers more control over their online presence and then walked off the stage without taking questions from reporters. Suddenly, the New York Times is very interested in politicians not taking questions from reporters. You should probably send an email or a text message to your guy in the White House and say, hey, bro, we have a new policy. We want you to try to demand to ask questions of the President of the United States because... um, that's not what they care about when it comes to a Democrat. Anyway, the story gets even funnier because now Florida has admitted that they've done this. Florida did it. Yeah, they did it. And go screw yourself. And what's even more hilarious is they released a video of all of these sweet, 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 nourishing migrants. Never did nothing to nobody. The biggest boon to the economy anybody can possibly imagine. All these illegal aliens signing releases, agreeing, consenting, saying that they wanted to go to California. So they did them a favor. There's no human trafficking here. There's no coercion here. There's a very big group of pissed off leftists out in California who are being shown up. They're having their sanctuary state status highlighted. And what they're really afraid of Ultimately, in California, because California recognizes these Democrats, they want illegal aliens in the country. They want them in red states so that when blanket amnesty and citizenship is granted to them, they will register to vote as Democrats in states where they can overwhelm the Republican majority. Oh, you can't say that. It's true. It's true. It's true. They've, they've been perfectly open about it in the past, and suddenly they realize that they get more political mileage out of a lie, so they started telling a lie. That's just the kind of people they are. But what California is terrified of is that if illegal aliens are seen as having the red carpet rolled out for them in California, which there is a red carpet rolled out for them in California, but there aren't that many illegal aliens coming across, the illegal aliens marching up Mexico will divert. And instead of crossing into Texas, they'll start crossing into California. Now, it's a long ways, probably at another 1,500 miles to the march, but if there is a difference between being harassed, not wanted, a prospect of deportation, whatever, in Texas, 1,500 or 1,000 miles or whatever it is, is a small price to pay. Once you get the illegal aliens into the state of California, the odds of them leaving because California has made it so advantageous to be in this country illegally and financially beneficial $300 weekly checks to illegal aliens is what they're they're doing now you want to talk about how screwed up things have gotten in California um it is um it's disgusting it's disturbing <laughs> excuse me Sorry, again, these things come out of nowhere. I I wish I didn't have to uh, do it. But, yeah, California Senate, they're pushing for, they've approved $300 weekly checks for illegal aliens out in California. 
Because why? Because they want to be seen as compassionate. And they also know that the vast majority of illegal entries are in Texas because Texas is a lot closer. It goes down a lot further south. So why wouldn't people want to go to California? Maybe instead of facilitating the transportation of illegal aliens from Texas and other states to California, the red states down there should, since the government is funding this, this is the dirty little secret that nobody wants to talk about. And as a Catholic, I find particularly disgusting and is really uh, causing me to have problems with the Catholic Church. The government and charities like Catholic Charities are shepherding, training, teaching, moving illegal aliens from South and Central America up to the United States at a record pace. They are. And they're using our tax dollars to do it. They're giving it to these groups that facilitate these massive conga lines of illegal aliens from from more than 100 countries down there on the southern border. Um, Why not intervene down further? There's got to be some kind of passenger train, some kind of... Let's get them to go straight to California. Let's keep them out of Texas. Let's get that... You know how you... uh, If you put something up to block a string of ants, an ant ant will find a way around, right? They'll find a way around. They'll do whatever they got to do to end up where they need to be. Put something up there. The Mexican government is wildly corrupt. They could easily be uh, not coerced, but co-opted into funneling the illegals to where they're welcome. In the name of humanity, let's get them to go to California. In the name of humanity, my God, let's get them to go to California so that they can be the place where they would have the best shot at a bright economic future, where the state is ready to dole out a fortune to them, give them driver's licenses, give them free health care, everything you can possibly want. Let's do it. Instead, they get outraged and try to prosecute. Look, I, I get it. The politicians in California are shocked that anybody really wants to go to California. It's shocking to me, too. There's been an exodus from California. And we're just, maybe you just say we're trying to fill that void that people have left. The people who fled to Arizona, to Florida, to Texas, whatever. Let's try and fill that void. Can we? Wouldn't that be nice? Anyway, since we're on the border... There is a primary challenge to the president of the United States and the Democratic side. Uh, The Democratic Party is refusing to acknowledge it. They're refusing to schedule any debates. They're barely going to hold any primaries or they're not really going to sanction. They they have to happen because it's up to the states, but they're pissed off about it. Uh, But that doesn't mean that there isn't a serious threat to Joe Biden. You got Marianne Williamson running, getting like 10% of the vote, which is nuts. I don't understand how anybody would vote for Marianne Williamson. But somebody who is more serious is Robert Kennedy Jr. Robert Kennedy Jr. is a liberal. He's a left winger. There's no question about that. But he's more of a traditional liberal in the old sense, not this progressive lunatic thing. Now, he's labeled by the media who are terrified and angry that anybody, especially somebody from the vaunted Kennedy clan, would dare challenge Joe Biden at all. But he is. And he, so they've labeled him 
as anti-vaxxer, as a conspiracy theorist. Now, when it comes to the COVID-19 vaccine that the left is still pushing, you still see, it's really bizarre to drive across the country and see billboards still up for this this worthless vaccine and get boosted. Make sure you get boosted, get double boosted, get quadru- We got to be up to like 15 booster shots by now. The people are out there who are, you know, walking around with IV drips of the Pfizer vaccine and going, I can't understand why I'm having health problems. Well, I got a suggestion, but that's neither here nor there. There are people still pushing it. Our federal government is still pushing it. The president of the United States, remember him, this is a vac- this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. It never was. They lied. They lied repeatedly. They lied. Talk about the big lie. Well, another, the big lie, They okay, well, about the uh, vaccine and Robert Kennedy. He is anti-vax, and he is a bit of a conspiracy theorist when it comes to vaccines in general. There was a study that ended up being completely debunked probably 25 years ago, maybe 30 years ago by now, that if I'm remembering correctly, something called thermosol, which is, I believe, a mercury-based preservative. In, I know you're saying mercury. I don't, I'm not a scientist. I can't. This is just what I'm going off of memory. Um, a mercury-based preservative in these vaccines that people were blaming, and this bogus study blamed the rise in autism on. It was debunked. It was totally debunked, but you got people like Jenny McCarthy and Jim Carrey when they were dating, at least. I don't know if Jim Carrey's changed his mind or what have you, but going around the country, warning against, and Oprah, I think, was involved in doing shows about this, the daytime TV show. They, they tried to create a panic about vaccines in general. Oh, the thermosol, it causes, in rare cases, but it causes autism, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, it wasn't true but it's still out there and gets traction with people. I believe that's what Robert Kennedy Jr.'s objection is to vaccines. That and a general sense of you shouldn't tell people that they have to inject certain things into their bodies, what have you. But on COVID-19, he's absolutely right. Absolutely right. And so the left hates him because they want to use COVID-19 as a battering ram, a hammer against everybody else, against everybody on the right. They want the right to be exclusively conspiracy theorists, and they just make up whatever. It's a conspiracy. It's a cons- so many conspiracies, quote-unquote, have proven to be true that it's hard to find something that's still labeled a conspiracy. I mean, hell, we got a whistleblower now talking about how the government, the federal government, has actual alien spacecraft in its possession. And it's a credible source. And we're probably going to find some things out about that coming up pretty soon. It's not a cons- it's, it's slowly emerging from the conspiracy theory cocoon to show that it is, in fact, the butterfly of truth, maybe. Who knows? We shall see. But anyway, RFK, in his run for president, made his way down to the southern border. And he's out on social media since the media isn't paying attention to him. Social media is paying attention to him. This is what makes Twitter such a great town hall, provided Elon Musk can get all the left-wing thumbs off the scale. And I say that as somebody who's still shadow banned on Twitter. Um, But I want you to listen to what RFK said down at the southern border. 
Hey, everybody, I'm at the border wall around Yuma, Arizona. It's about two o'clock in the morning. Um, we've watched about 150 people come across. You can see the end of the wall down there. And we've watched about 150 people come across in the last hour. The first group were about uh, 50 or 60 people from Africa, from West Africa. This group that is filing behind me right now, we interviewed many of them. Uh, they're from Peru, Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Afghanistan, Bangladesh, India, China, Tibet, Nepal, and all together, uh, people have come across right here from 117 nations in the last couple of years. In three years, in total, seven million people have come across the border illegally into our country. And from here, they're put on these buses and they're brought to the Border Patrol station where they're processed. After four or five days, they're released on their own reconnaissance into our country and most of them are never seen or heard from again. And this, the stories that we heard from these people are absolutely heartbreaking. This is a humanitarian crisis because of the understanding across the globe that we now have an open border here. There are people being drawn here. Uh, they're being abused. Uh, there are, there's all kinds of just horrific a terrible, terrible stories, and this is not a good thing for our country. It's not a good thing for these people, and it is unsustainable. 150 people, 120 countries, whatever he said, Peru, Panama, Afghanistan, marching across the southern border. Why? Because the message went out pretty unambiguously that the southern border is wide open. Come one, come all. The world's dumbest game of Red Rover you could possibly imagine. All because of the Democrats. All because of Joe Biden in particular. Surge to the border. Surge to the border. And his refusal, his steadfast refusal to do it. Why? Why would anybody refuse to address and close the border, tighten restrictions, turn people away, send people home immediately? You start sending people home immediately and the message gets sent to the people who are preparing to come back in their homelands going, oh, wait, Eddie's just uh, showed back up. He spent a bunch of money and he got shipped back. Crap. Will it stop everybody? No. But some people go, I'm not, I can't afford 10 grand to a cartel uh, with a 60% failure rate. Right? That's too big of a risk for me. And so they don't come. But instead, everybody gets in. Come one, come all. There's no restrictions. There's no requirement to prove who you are. There's no requirement to do anything. That's how you end up with a 20-year-old in a high school in, in suburban Maryland who, you know, takes sexual advantage of an underage girl. And when assimilation is not only not a priority, but it is frowned upon and looked at somehow some some brand of uh, cultural genocide. Well, I hate to tell you this, but since nobody else will, I will. Most of the rest of the world's cultures, particularly the countries from which people flee, those cultures suck. 
And for the feminists out there and for women in general, they're particularly bad for women, right? They just are. I know I'm a horrible, wild, racist, transphobe, homophobe, whatever the hell you want to call me, phobe, a triskaidekaphobe, because I will tell you what nobody else wants to admit, but everybody knows, that if you look at, say, the culture of Europe, for the most part, there are some Eastern European countries where it is significantly less so the case, but particularly Western Europe. When it comes to rights of minorities, when it comes to rights of women, they are pretty damn good. And in the United States, there's pretty, we're the best. Obviously, their people are fleeing here. But when it comes to, say, south of the Rio Grande or south of Europe or throughout good chunks, although not all, of Asia, with the exclusion of New Zealand and Australia, it's not a good place culture-wise, particularly for women and girls. They are seen as second-class citizens, commodities, um, age, things like age restrictions, age of consent doesn't exist. It doesn't ex not to any meaningful way. It's a wildly disturbing and frankly disgusting. Uh, part of a lot of cultures where you can have, and we, I played you on this show a couple of years ago, the after the botched Afghanistan withdrawal, the family who was selling their daughter, remember their daughter, and CNN film crew was filming it. Oh, you know, they're selling the daughter to some guy. He's She's going to be an 11-year-old bride because the family needs money, and there's this perverted, I don't know, he's probably in his 40s, but he looked like he's in his 70s, monster who really just needs to be killed, wiped off the face of the earth, sitting there buying his new bride because that's the culture over there. And I know we're not allowed to, oh, some, all cultures are, not all cultures are equal. Many cultures really are sick and full of disgusting people and commit heinous acts of evil, to be honest with you, heinous acts of evil. But moral relativism is destroying this country led by the left, so they just ignore it and pretend that this is all good. And who are we to say, you know what, there are some people in the United States who wear cowboy boots, you know, and over in uh, the Middle East, where they have routinely have sex with underage boys, in, especially in rural areas of Afghanistan and Pakistan, because they can't have sex with women, because that would be against the uh, the teachings of religion. Uh, you can't. It's the same thing. No, no. Cowboy footwear and child rape are not the same. Well, we can't judge. Hell yes, we can judge. Hell yes, we can judge. Nobody's trying to break into Afghanistan because they really want to live there. But weirdly, a bunch of, and I understand why they're coming here, a lot of them. But without the added effort of assimilation being a priority, which is not allowed anymore because of the left, you end up with all sorts of horrible things happening here. What you do is you bring in the people and then you bring in the horrible cultures that they've fled and many of the horrible culture practices that came with them. And you end up with girls like in the UK when they had that massive, massive grooming gang. One city, there were hundreds of girls, underage girls, being groomed and raped and violated and molested 
all by they always in in Europe they use the term Asian for Middle Eastern because uh, geographically technically I suppose they're next to each other but culturally they're miles apart and religiously they're miles apart once you get there's it, there's an easy way to to draw a line there but they don't want to because it is um it's politically expedient to lump a whole bunch of people together so that you could say well it's it's anti-asian if you say this no it's not it's not anti-anything it's pro-truth but you want to try and label it as anti-asian rather than point out that there are some middle eastern some arabic countries some muslim countries some muslim cultures that are absolutely horrible not all of them not all of them we really should be differentiating between the good and the bad and that's what we're not allowed to do what we really should be differentiating between the good and the bad muslim cultures so that we can encourage more of the good and discourage some of the bad will there be some people who go well i want to go to the bad ones because the united states the evil great satan says this that and the other. yeah of course there will be but i think the vast majority of people when you point out hey we are against this we support this branch of islamic culture because they oppose child rape and child brides and the other side doesn't i think that'll get the vast majority of people and the people you lose to the other side probably you got to keep an, should have kept an eye on them from the beginning anyway just saying it's all very very disgusting and very disturbing Speaking of which, I want to play you a couple of clips from MSNBC. They're both fairly long, but they're important clips because you have to know what your enemies are up to. You have to, I don't, there was a time not that long ago, and probably even up to about three months ago, that I would not have used the word enemies, your opponents. Oh, you know, but these people are the enemies of rational thought. They are the enemies of common decency they are the enemies of goodness they are the enemies of everything that makes this country great i'm talking about the trans activists i'm talking about the people who want to butcher children that sort of thing. i've been uh, emailing with deroy murdoch he read my column the other day and uh reached out to me and he's going to come on the show i just have to mess with my uh microphone because when i i know i get the emails when you have an interview on the show it sucks because you sound like you're on a transistor radio i know i'm either going to have to get a new microphone somehow or try to make figure out what the hell's wrong with this one i hope it's not my computer but it, it just sounds bad it doesn't it's it's you can hear it it just doesn't sound good but once i figure that out in the next couple probably next week uh by next week i will get deroy murdoch on to talk about this as well because he's as dis He's, he's the same way I am, except he's a gay man. He's a gay black man. But other than that, he's the same in that you look at the alphabet mafia, and it's been my experience with my gay friends that the T has all the power. The T is, it might as well be for terrorists, Taliban, whatever. Uh, and the L's and the G's and the B's are not big fans of the T's. They don't like being lumped in with actually any of the other, the twos, the IAs. And I don't even know what these things stand for anymore. It's just an, it's an alphabet. It's like somebody ate alphabet soup and then threw it up and did a word jumble on it while high on acid. And I just put these letters together and said, okay, there you go. Now you're all the same. Well, I'm sorry. Most gay people, most lesbian people, 
don't buy into this crap about you can switch your gender and they don't want anything done to kids. They don't. So we'll talk about that. But that doesn't mean there aren't a lot of people out there who do because Lord knows there are god-awful lot of people out there who do. And they aren't about to stop. There are no real standards. And when you have no real standards and you're not allowed to judge, you end up getting this sort of moral relativism that leads to cultural rot. It really genuinely leads to cultural rot. Uh, but before we get to this audio, I, I saw this story and it cracked, <coughs> cracked me up. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Elliot Page, who's Ellen Page, um, actress, was in the, uh, what do you call it, the X-Men movies as Kitty Pride, I think it was. And... Um, <laughs> She is now a man. She is now a man, ladies and gentlemen. And there you go. Now you have it. She's now Elliot Page. She was Juno, if you don't know who uh, Ellen Page was. She's Juno. And uh, now she's Elliot. She's was in some TV show. I don't even know what it was. It's all these streaming shows. And now they switched the character to be a dude because why not? Might as well accommodate insanity while you have it. And as such, she's turning into Jussie Smollett, New York Post. Actor Elliot Page has shared he was verbally attacked and threatened by a crazed transphobic man who shouted that he was the reason, quote, I need a gun, end quote, in Los Angeles last year. That's weird. Yeah, Page, 36, was standing on a corner in West Hollywood on his way to the Pink Dot convenience store when the enraged and hateful stranger approached him, shouting obscenities, according to Los Angeles Times. I'm going to effing gay bash you, you F word. The man yelled, forcing the actor to bolt towards the store in fear. <laughs> um... Why do all these attacks happen to famous people? And why do they happen to famous people in famously liberal areas? You notice this? You notice it? If you look at, I think I wrote about this in my book. I know I wrote about it somewhere. I think it was in my book. Where the attacks are um, the Southern Poverty Law Center, the New York Times, and Washington Post, and a whole bunch of left-wing media outlets, they all decided to get together after the 2016 election because they knew that hate crimes would be on the rise. They knew that hate had a home in Donald Trump's America. And so they formed a, a central database of all the hate crime attacks in the country to show how Trump and Republican victories had created more of them. And it was just evil and wrong, and they were terrible, and they needed to be exposed, and blah, 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 blah. And so they did it, and there were just links to news stories. The problem was they discontinued this thing after like six months. Now, why did they discontinue this after six months? Because so many of the reported racist and homophobic, it wasn't transphobia back then, it was a different time, five, six, seven years ago. All of those attacks, so many of them ended up being fake. So many of them ended up being fake. But the ones that did not come to an arrest, did not turn out that, you know, the 
was it? There was a 16-year-old Muslim girl, I think it was, who said she was harassed by Trump supporters on a subway car trying to go home at night. And then they looked into it, and it turns out that she was just off like teenage girls do with her boyfriend. And her parents didn't want her to see her boyfriend, didn't want her to have a boyfriend, so she came home late and ended up having to lie about where she was. Oh, not I wasn't with Johnny. I, I sure wasn't with Johnny. I was on a subway car where uh, a bunch of Islamophobe uh, people who hate me wearing my uh, headscarf, they were harassing me on a subway car. Oh, well, you poor dear. You poor, and then it turned out to be a fraud. The, the guy who discovered that his church was spray-painted with homophobic slurs, and he just happened to be the organist for the church. I think this was in Silver Spring, Maryland, if I remember correctly. He was the organist for it, and he discovered it one morning. He was there at the church early, and then it turns out that, oops, uh, the guy who discovered, the, the gay guy who discovered the homophobic spray painting on the very tolerant church was the guy who did the homophobic spray painting. My my firm belief is, because there were so many of them that the SPLC and the New York Times and NBC News and all the groups, there's there a whole bunch of, and there was a big, big money involved in this too. And they don't walk away from big money lightly. Uh, the reason they, they uh, walked away is because it was, so many of them were being proven to be false. And they were making the whole concept look bad. So by not reporting on it, by reporting on it, they exposed it as fraud. So by going back to not reporting on it, to not having one central clearinghouse of these things, then they were able to keep the concept alive, right? People remember the story. They don't remember the end result. They don't remember that they, they remember, oh my God, somebody sprayed homophobic crap on a church. They don't remember, oh, it was the guy who discovered it, the church member who did it. And the excuse they always give is some sort of, uh, well, they're just trying to draw attention to the plight of et cetera, et cetera. Like, oh, okay. You're trying to draw attention to this. What that really means to me in my philosophy, my, my, my theory, sorry, not philosophy. My theory is that people have been conditioned by the left-wing industrial complex to believe that we are a wildly racist, homophobic, trans, whatever it is, country it's ingrained in our society the 1619 project of the human rights campaign non-stop they are dishing this stuff out and so especially when you hear it from teachers from college professors when you're inundated when you're when you're dropping 20 grand or 50 grand a, a year to be told these sorts of things you then go out into the world because any good person would go if this is a rampant thing I find it disgusting. I want to put a stop to it. I must put a stop to it. It's disgusting. And you go out and you go, I'm determined to find it. I'm going to put it in its place and I'm going to stamp it out. And then you can't find it. But you know it exists. You've been told it exists by people you're supposed to trust. And you've also been told by those very same people that uh, it it hides. It hides very well. Sometimes in plain sight, but other times so deep down in microaggressions that blah, 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 etc., etc., that you, you can't find it, but you know it's there. And so what do you do? You manufacture it. You manufacture it. Because really, the important thing is to expose 
the concept more so than individual cases. If you're really interested in, say, individual cases of racism and trying to stamp out racism, all the left-wing attacks against somebody like Clarence Thomas would keep you busy your whole life. But they don't care about that. It's the wrong guy. It's the wrong concept that they're trying to advance. So you end up with all this other kind of garbage and you end up with these fake hate crimes. Why? Because it has to be real, right? And if we can't find it, that just means that it's more ingrained and deeper into society than anybody even knows. And so we shall fight, blah, blah, blah. We shall push. We shall expose it. (coughs) Sorry, that brings us to the Southern Poverty Law Center again after being disgraced so many different times and they've actually inspired more terrorism than they've exposed terrorism. Remember when the gunman went into the Family Research Center our Family Research Council's offices because the SPLC put out a hit map on There's no repercussions. There was no even pause in the left-wing media of going, uh, maybe we should, I don't know, take a week off of uh, citing the SPLC because they actually inspired one of them. Even from MSNBC should have done it just because it cost them a viewer, right? But no, they didn't care. Uh, Anyway, she was uh, the head of the SPLC is someone named Margaret Huang. She was on with Nicole Wallace. And they are now equating not wanting men in women's bathrooms and and boys and girls sports with terrorism honest it, it it's gotten to the point of absurdity um but it's actually already been well past the point of absurdity but they are now equating that uh, with terrorism and the parents who go to school board meetings as terrorists and athletes female athletes who speak out against male athletes getting there. and what's really telling And it shows you how um, disconnected from reality these people are. At the beginning of this clip, you're going to hear Nicole Wallace talking. And I apologize for that. But she makes a point that she clearly doesn't realize she's making. Because the argument from the left is what? The gender is a social construct. There is no difference between men and women. Blah, blah, blah. Men have no inherent uh, advantages over girls. Boys have no inherent advantages over girls. Forget all that biology mumbo-jumbo. And just listen to me as I tell you this with my political science degree, that there is nothing, there's no difference between men and women physically. Nicole Wallace says something along the lines of, well, they're not complaining about girls and boys sports. Only boys and girls. She obviously uses specific approved terms, but that's the gist of what she says. And that's exactly the point. There are no girls, trans boys, in boys' sports dominating the way that there are boys or trans girls in girls' sports. I've written about this a whole bunch. If gender were a social construct, if there were no difference in whatever they're claiming, there would be some, wouldn't there be some some 16-year-old trans boy able to jack a 80-mile-an-hour curveball 
out of the park at high school or college somewhere? They're not. I just wanted to point that out. And then the rest we'll talk about after. Sure are maybe 100 trans athletes. And to be clear, as an ex-Republican, I think they're only upset about trans kids who identify as girls. I've not seen any of them single out um, trans kids who identify as boys. So how do you explain the gap between the reality that there are less than 100 trans kids playing sports, so less than 100 school communities contending with whatever the issues are around those teams or those athletes and those families, and the rise and, and, the, and the platforming of hatred towards the trans community. As we've seen more and more of the hate and extremist groups becoming active at the local level, we have seen state and local elected leaders taking up these positions of being anti-trans or anti-student um, inclusion in the schools. This is very much a coordinated effort. Uh, we are seeing state legislators work in lockstep with uh, those far-right activists who are attacking school board members for wanting inclusive education. And what it means is that we're um, seeing an increasing number of politicians embracing this far-right ideology far more than in the past. In the past, you would see politicians seek to distance themselves from far-right ideology and far-right extremism. Today, they're all aligned and they're using the same talking points. And so rather than focus on what kids and children need, there's a much greater willingness to use political talking points about schools, about young people that actually have nothing to do with supporting those children to have their best possible education. I love that. Instead of worrying about what these children need, um, that's actually what the parents and conservatives and athletes are talking about. These kids need a normal environment. They need to go to school and learn to read and write. They need to learn how to do math. They don't need to do counting. How many genders are we up to today, Billy? 744. Well, let's see if we can come up with some more. They are not in need of hearing about the sex lives of their teachers. If you're a teacher who feels compelled to let elementary, let any student know who you screw or how you screw, you should not be within a country mile of a school. You should not. You should actually be barred from being near a school. But you notice the strategic deployment of the word inclusive. It has nothing to do with inclusivity or exclusivity or anything like that. It has to do with children and grooming of children and the screwing over of real girls in the name of political correctness. But they say inclusive, 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 because they want to paint people who are going, you know what, this is inherently unfair, this is wrong, this is anti-science, this is anti-reality, whatever it is, as exclusive meanies. They discriminate again. It's insane. It's, it's not... And she kind of ca caught herself and corrected it. Go back and listen to that clip again. She uh, she didn't use it at first, and then she kind of shoehorns it in the first time she uses it, and then she makes sure to circle back. But I do love Nicole Wallace saying there are only one. I don't know where they get their numbers from. The Southern Poverty Law Center is not a place from which I would trust anything. But there's only 100 boys playing girls there's no girls playing boys sports there's only 100 boys playing girls sports across the country so there's only really 100 
districts dealing with this. Well, I would ask you at what point does damaging girls become an issue for you, right? If it's, well, it's, look, yes, of course, girls are getting screwed over, but not that many girls. Oh, all right. Well, so then we should just say, sorry, 100 girls or probably several hundred girls because they lose to those boys. Uh, sorry, there just aren't enough of you. Is there a magic number? Is there a tipping point? Because when it comes to abortion, if one woman has to wait two hours to get an abortion or has to, I don't know, have a, a scan taken of her belly in order to have an, hear the heartbeat of the baby before she has an abortion, why that, if just one woman, one place in this country has it, it is an affront to all women everywhere and it is an injustice and must be corrected. But when real girls get screwed over by boys in the sports arena and something that they've worked hard for their whole lives oh well sorry shut up keep it to yourself not my problem you're probably a bigot anyway and then we come to another clip from msnbc frank figliuzzi he's a former fbi agent he really honest to god he's an msnbc contributor he's the guy who said that uh, I forget who died, but uh, somebody had lowered the Donald Trump had lowered the flags, ordered the flags to be flown half staff till uh, August eighth, and like eight eight that stands for Heil Hitler and blah blah. Like ugh, you're insane, but he's a highly paid insane. He is a highly paid partisan hack. He makes a lot of money spewing this garbage. He went on MSNBC again to point out how parents who. It's amazing how just simply being an FBI agent <clears throat> imbues you, if you're a leftist, with certain powers to be able to make pronouncements in fields that were not your area of expertise. It's just always a former FBI. This is the problem with all of cable news. But uh, your former job. When Frank Figliuzzi was a an FBI agent, this trans crap was not an issue in any way, shape, or form on anybody's radar. But he's an expert about it now. And uh, parents and anybody who does not like the idea of competing against boys and losing to boys, why, they're terrorists, essentially. First, let me, let me give kudos to the SPLC for an extremely comprehensive, well-written, well-packaged uh, report. I, I recommend everybody reading this who wants to just become more familiar with what's happening all around us now. Because the overall takeaway is that hate is becoming more entrenched. Um, they have gone local. Hate has gone local. And the more local it goes, uh, the more mainstream it becomes. Now, one of the strategies we see is what you mentioned, which is an increased targeting of the gay community. It's part of the so-called culture war that they want us to believe is happening, that, that our religious freedoms are being targeted, our children are being targeted. And it's about as anti-freedom as you can be in reality, but that's, that's not what they want. They want us to believe Everything we stand for is somehow at risk, including our children's safety. So 
The convenient target here has become, in addition to the Jewish community and the black community, has become the gay community. And here we are, of course, in Pride Month, where security really has to be paramount for the, the various events going on. But I hearken back to decades ago when the FBI and the DOJ really aggressively targeted and, and successfully went after criminally the KKK. And what happened there was they took off their hoods and their sheets and they put on suits and ties. And they went local. And they ran for office. So this isn't the first time we've seen this going local mainstreaming of hatred. We've seen it before, and we see it now with people who truly are driven by hate and deception, running for school board and, and elective office, and that's where the problem is. So there's good news, bad news in this report. There's a drop in militia groups and activity. That's, there's clearly mentioned in the report of the chilling effect that the 1,000 arrests now have had for January 6 on these militia groups. But the bad news is, you know, just as soon as you get your hands around them from a law enforcement, enforcement perspective, identify people and, and groups, they go local. They hide behind suits and ties and try to legitimize themselves. And that makes it very, very hard to get a handle on what's happening. Very, very, they hide everywhere. They hide as parents. They hide as people who disagree with Rachel Maddow. They hide as people who oppose Joe Biden and might consider voting for a Republican. They hide in plain sight and they need to be destroyed. We need to build camps to put these people in so that they might either be re-educated to be released back into polite society or contained and given menial tasks until such time as their lives end so that we in society can be protected from them. Maybe a couple of executions in the public square to discourage other people from dissenting, etc., etc. Perhaps I should have said all of this with a German accent to make the point more clear, you say? That's the FBI. You say they're going, well, the FBI, should we disband the FBI? I don't know that we need to disband the FBI, but we damn well need to gut it. We damn well need to fire a huge percentage of the people in there. And uh, they're just a dangerous group. These leftists are wildly dangerous. They don't, do you think really, do you really think that Frank Figluzzi gives a damn about some trans kid in the middle of anywhere? No. Not at all. He cares about advancing a left-wing agenda, so he's on board. They're on board. They've weaponized the Alphabet Mafia, and the Alphabet Mafia is all but too happy to have been weaponized. Anyway, that is enough for today. Check out patreon.com slash Podcast or derekhunter.locals.com. Support the show there if you don't mind. Uh, I would really appreciate it. Five bucks a month. You can try it a week for free. You get to enter the contest. You get Ray Lewis autograph book versus Brian Kilmeade's autograph book. Uh, you get the weekend effort and review, et cetera, et cetera, bonus material, so on and so forth. Plus, you get a clean conscience, uh, getting this fine quality infotainment for the cost of nothing for five bucks a month. That's pennies a day. So uh, check it out, patreon.com slash Podcast or derekhunter.locals.com. Otherwise, we'll be back here to do it all again tomorrow, whether my throat is ready for it or not. Thanks for listening.